Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, back from vacation. We took last week off because I was gone and we just couldn't be bothered. Just kidding. Glad to be back this week. We're joined again by our pastor and friend, Tim Olson. Let's get going. This week was week five of our work series, taking a look at what the Bible has to say kind of holistically about the work that God has given us to do. You know, we've hinted and said this a bunch of times that it's not necessarily your nine to five. It's not the stuff you get paid for, but really your work is anything that God has given you to cultivate, anything that God has given you to steward and grow and shepherd. It could be your parenting, it could be your home, it could be your finances, it could be your job, it could be a lot of things. It could be you know, your ministry and your community group and things like that. But work is whatever God has given us to cultivate. So we've been talking about what it means to think about our work in a Christian way. Um, For week five, we talked about um, the idea that we need meaning for our frustrations. So work is not a curse, but it is cursed, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And work's going to be, you know, inherently flawed and frustrating sometimes. There's going to be things that frustrate about us no matter what we do for our work. So, you know, just talking about what we do with our frustrations. So, um The main passage this week was James 1, 1 through 17, and we kind of talked about the idea that from a Christian perspective, trials and frustrations and things like that um, shouldn't just be things that destroy us as believers, but we should really view them as opportunities to be, you know, matured and sanctified and to grow in steadfastness and perseverance. And, you know, that we should recognize that trials are an opportunity for maturity, that when we face trials and adversity and frustrations, that you know, we can look to Jesus with confidence that he would use us to to test us and shape us and grow us. So um, we kind of said in general that, you know, our frustrations and our trials can either serve us or destroy us. Um, and then ultimately at the end, we kind of gave four things that we can kind of do to, to reframe the way we think about our frustrations with our jobs, with our work, with our labor, um, and four ways that we can let our trials serve us. So the first one of those was to see our trials coming, just to expect them. Um, number two was to go to God in the midst of our frustration. Number three was to kill your comparison. And number four was to look ahead to the crown of life, look ahead to the reward that God has promised us in the midst of our trials. So, um, And then at the end, we kind of gave two questions for how to think about this in a more practical, personal sense. Asking yourselves, you know, what is trying, what might God be trying to kill in you through your trials and what are what might God be trying to grow in you through your trials? So I think for me, the part that stuck out the most was that point number three about killing your comparison, um, just because that's something I think about a lot anyways, even outside of the context of the sermon, just how, I don't know, in the world that we live in and the in the kind of hustle culture and celebrity culture that we live in, like the Instagram, social media culture. We compare ourselves to everybody all the time, and we always think that our lives have to measure up to everybody else. But in this context, we're kind of talking about how it's it's easy for us to either magnify our frustrations by comparing ourselves to people that might be in less frustrating situations or to really view ourselves as extra disadvantaged because our trials might be harder than somebody else's. And um, So I just thought that was a really good part of your sermon, Tim. Good job giving you know some practicals for people about don't let your... Don't let comparison, you know, cause disunity amongst us. Don't dismiss another person's trial in a way that it, you know, might take away from what God might be doing in them because you have this perception that it's not as hard as your trial. I say all the time, like, comparative suffering is a disease, (laughs) which is certainly aggressive. But I don't know. I really like that part. But what about you, Tim? What kind of stuck out to you in particular while you were preparing for this week's sermon? 
That is certainly aggressive uh, and and true. Uh, I mean, I think we more and more over the last really five, six, seven years have really lived into a victim culture, a culture that really can't race each other fast enough to be the biggest victim. And you see this right. a lot in um, a lot of good desires for things, um, a lot of good hearts behind some things. So mm. things that are... Um, valid uh, desires to to end racial injustice, desires to elevate uh, women in the workplace and in society, like some really good like foundational things that we would say like are, are good, uh, just based on biblical principles. But it just feels like the way to go about it now, if you want your cause to be heard, is you have to find a way to become the biggest victim in right. everybody's mind. You have to be the one that's the most persecuted, the one hmm. that's the most oppressed, the one that's the most. Uh, hurt or cast aside yep. in order to get people to care about your yeah. thing and to then to want to elevate you. And so it's almost become this race to the bottom, not right. in like a Christian way, not in the explicitly like uh, we lower ourselves in humility to yeah. God way, but in a way of like, uh, I in order for me to convince you that I matter, I have to convince you that I'm persecuted yeah. or the victim or hurt. So that hopefully do the, we give our d- divided attention to my thing that correct. I care about because it's Cause I'm the from most my perception indie. the most mm-hmm. urgent. Yeah. And Christians do, are bad about this too. Right. Like Christians play into this, right? And so I think a lot of our, uh, and this is not a true across the country because there's certainly very real religious persecution going on, but part of what Christians uh, even right now are trying to do, especially in the secular West, is jump on the victim train and trying to say, like, well, we are actually the, the most persecuted. We're the most victimized. Uh, and they're running the same rat race of trying to, like, beat everybody to the bottom. And we do this in our, our you know, on a cultural level, but I think we really do this on a personal level as well. Um, I think about my own heart and my own life. Um, if you... If I'm not thinking correctly and I'm, I'm living in the flesh and not the spirit and you come to me and you're talking about some suffering or some frustration in your life, one of my immediate gut sinful reactions can be to put it in the framework of my suffering, right? And to be like, well, yeah, that's hard, but like it's not as hard as like what I've gone through this week or, yeah, I mean, your kid sounds tough, but like not as bad as my kid or, well, your job is hard, but it's not as hard as mine or, well, you work really hard, but you don't work as hard as me. Like, and you can play it out to any scenario in any facet, your story, your family of origin. Yeah, that was difficult, but like you don't know my parents yeah. or you don't know my history. And so... And it just doesn't serve us well. It doesn't serve uh, us personally well. I said this on Sunday. It doesn't serve our ability to see what God is doing in our lives through our very real suffering. It also doesn't help us serve each other um, and see what God is doing in their lives. Um, anyway, I think what, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot and what really stuck out to me is the inevitability of trials. The fact that uh, work is cursed, right? Work is a gift. It's a good thing from God, but it's broken. And so... I mean, I love, I genuinely love my job. Like, I, I love what I do. I am one of the instances where uh, I, I get to do my calling and I get to do what I feel like the Lord has really uh, put in my heart to do since I was 15 years old. And so I re- like I get to live, in some ways, my vocational dream. And there are days that I don't like it. Right. And, then, and there are days where it's hard. And there are days where I'm frustrated. And there's days where I'm upset. And there's days where I don't want to wake up in the morning and do what the Lord has set in front of me to do. And uh, and so I think it's just really easy for me to feel the weight of like, I don't know that I could have picked a better vocation for myself, at least right now. Like, I just feel so confidently aware when I wake up in the morning that I'm doing what the Lord has called me to do. And there's aspects of it that I don't like. And so to <laughs> me, it's just like very clear of right. like the perfect job isn't going to fix it. The, the perfect calling isn't going to fix it. The most passionate thing I could ever do for a living isn't going to fix it. 
uh, work is broken. There's going to be thorns and thistles and it's going to be cursed and it's going to be hard. And, um, you know, God tells Adam in Genesis three, like by the, the sweat of your brow, you will eat from the earth. And that's true for all of us. Like by the sweat of our brow, we'll get through, we'll get through our days. And so I think learning to see, um, the problem is not necessarily could be, but not necessarily, and probably even not, uh, the job itself, uh, and the what of your vocation or the where of your vocation, it's probably just the fact that it's a vocation. It's probably just the fact that it is a labor. Uh, labor, by definition, means toil, means struggle, means hardship. Um, and so I think just remembering that and helping have a vision for that, I think will just help a lot of like, um, I don't know, one of the things we do when somebody's about to get married or when someone's about to have a kid is we try to tell them like, hey, this is difficult. Like, I know you're excited about all the good things. It's also very hard. And one of our goals in that is not to scare people and not to make people afraid or not excited, whatever. But part of it is like when we have realistic expectations, uh, it really helps us prepare, right? right? So if you're a runner and you're like, I'm about to run a half marathon or a marathon or a 10K or whatever, and you know this is going to be a hard 30 minutes, hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever, it just helps, right? Rather than like you get six miles in and you're like, oh crap, what do I do? I can't believe I'm running this race. It's really yeah. difficult. But just being able to expect the frustration, expect the difficulty can serve dividends for when it does come, you're not thrown off and right. you're able to then ask the good questions of, Lord, what are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to kill? What are you trying to grow? All of that. Yeah, that's super helpful. I was even talking to somebody this week, maybe not this week, but anyways, I was talking to somebody in my CG who's kind of newly coming around and they were just talking about like, yeah, I've really not had a desire to do some things that I used to do before I started coming around and trying to follow Jesus. And I said like, yeah, that's really awesome. I'm really excited for that. Um, it's going to happen again. Like it's, <laughs> you're going to want the things that you used to want again. And I'm not saying that to defeat you or anything, but let's have the right expectations so that when trial comes, we've not equated, you know, we've not equated a lack of trial with God's goodness, you know, God, God is good in the way that he promises trial because it's going to mature us in the Holy Spirit. And um, so just having the right expectations so that we don't fall short, that we can continue with endurance once they show up, which was a lot about what the sermon was about. Yeah. And it's also, man, it, it's incredible to watch when people get a vision for my job isn't perfect, but it's it can be a good thing. How much more you can actually enjoy your job, how much more you can actually enjoy your labor when you say, OK, this is going to be difficult and it's going to have some trial. It's going to have some pinch points. But it also helps me enjoy when it's good, helps me enjoy when right. it's beautiful, helps me enjoy when I'm, I do feel like, you know, I'm in a state of flow and I'm working hard and things are clicking. Like when that doesn't have to be ultimate, it helps you enjoy the good parts of it. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. What are we going to dive deep on today, Tim? Yeah. So I, uh, went long on Sunday. So I was getting ready for the sermon and I was telling them a teaching team on Wednesday, I was like 32 minutes max. The sermon's not going to be long. And it was like 44, yeah, something crazy like I that. I didn't know. Uh, I got, I got loose on a couple of stories. Um, but one of the things that I didn't really get to hit on as much as I wanted to is point four, uh, that idea of looking ahead to the crown of life. So this is a theme, uh, throughout the scriptures, but especially in the new Testament and especially the epistles. So James, uh, picks it up here in verse 12, where he says, let me just read it again. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, and this crown of life can be seen a couple other times in scripture. Paul uh, was really big about the crown of life in his writings. Uh, he writes about it in first Corinthians nine. He talks about uh, how he um, keeps his body under control. He lives a self-controlled life so that he can win the prize. He can run the race, win the prize, this uh, kind of imperishable 
wreath. And then in, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he talks about uh, really near the end of his life writing to Timothy, one of his uh, pastoral mentees, and he says that he has fought the good fight, he's finished the race, he's kept the faith, and that in light of that, there is a crown of righteousness that's waiting for him. And this this crown of life isn't uh, a ruler's crown, right? Jesus is the king, he's the, he's the ruler, but it's a, a victor's crown. It's this wreath that they would have put over you after you won uh, an Olympic race or an Olympic sporting event or something like that in that day. They would crown the winner with this wreath, and it was a, as a designation that you've won, you've run the best race. Yeah. And Paul says several times in the New Testament, and James says here, um, this is what we're seeking after. We're running after this crown of life that is promised. And then I love the beauty of, of that ending of verse 12 where it says that he has promised to those who love him. Not those who uh, figured out all out on their own. Not those who do everything perfectly, but those who love him. Those who remain steadfast. And just the, you can't preach James 1 devoid from the rest of Scripture, right? So it's easy to preach James 1 as just an imperative, right? Hey, hold fast to God in your trial. Boom, do it. Go, go <laughs> in peace. <laughs> peace be with you, right? Uh, but it doesn't actually serve the greater narrative of Scripture, which is this whole theme of the both and of Christianity, the both and of the steadfastness of Christians, but also the steadfastness of Christ, that throughout the scriptures, you see this theme that we are called to be faithful to Jesus, but even in the midst of our faithfulness, that he is the one who is ultimately faithful to us. Um, And so he's the one who who holds us, even as we are called to hold steadfast to our faith in the midst of trial, we know ultimately, based on the scriptures, that it is Jesus who is holding on to us. We even talked about this with uh, Hebrews 10.23, right? where it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then you expect the next part to say, uh, because we are faithful or because we should be faithful or because we are called to do it. But it says we hold fast because he who promised is faithful. And we see this elsewhere in scripture, First Timothy, right? That when we are faithless, he is faithful, right? That God consistently is the one who even when we don't uphold our end of the, the covenant, he upholds his, and he is consistently faithful to us. And so even in the midst of the trials, we can have confidence that, yeah, we hold fast to the Spirit, we hold fast uh, to the Word of life, but he is ultimately the one that, that holds, holds fast to us. Yeah, and the faithfulness of Christ is seen on the cross, and also we have because of that we have a confidence in the future faithfulness of Christ that he's going to deliver on all the things that he promised. Um, I think it's ironic, too, talking about like this victor's crown while it's literally the Olympics happening right now. But Tokyo 2020. There's, One. No, they're still calling it 2020. I know, because they is the year right. that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. This is going to be a, a spoiler alert for a few weeks from now when we're doing uh, mm-hmm. Fruit of the Spirit, but you might forget by then. Um, Surely. I, I heard it put really helpfully, uh, actually just uh, this morning. Um, somebody talked about this idea as uh, in the Christian life, you need grace and grit. And I thought it was so helpful. Uh, you need grit. You need grit. You need the ability to hold fast to Christ. You need to be able to be, the ability to... Um, work some stuff out. It's a hard thing to face trials and to not let them become temptations. It's a hard thing to face um, the trial to cut a corner and to not let them become a temptation. It's a hard thing to face the trial of suffering in your job, your life, whatever, and not let those things become temptations. So you need some grit as a Christian. You need to be able to stand firm, to hold fast, to be steady, but you also need a lot of grace. It's got to be both grit and grace. You need the grace of Christ, his steadfastness, his faithfulness, holding on to us, his growth, his pushing us, his shaping us and cultivating fruit within us. I thought that was that was really helpful. I never heard it put that way before. That as Christians, uh, this both and we hold fast to Christ, he holds fast to us. 
It requires both grit and grace. Right. And it's it's one of those things like if we overemphasize one over the other, we really do miss the picture. Mm-hmm. And I know I've certainly done that before. I've talked about before, like sometimes it's really hard for me to think of to not think about the gospel other than just like a tool that we have been given to utilize to live the lives that we are called to lead. Like and you know, it just like it's all grit. You know what I mean? Like you've been given the tool chest. Tool chest? Is that a word? Tool been, belt. Yeah, you've been given the toolbox. Christ gave it to you. Use the tools. Yeah. And work through life. Get through life having utilized the tools. And then at the end, if you did it correctly, you'll you'll be where you need to be, kind of. But then the opposite end is like Oh, it's all grace, which is true, but if there's all grace with no perseverance, it's kind of no no grit, no steadfastness, no perseverance. You know, it's I think it's a little bit of what Paul would say, was it in James, where it talks about we'd be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, right? Oh, yeah, James says that, James 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So, it's, I mean, it's like, it has to be both, and it's a good thing that it's both, because, you know, in some ways, the the perseverance and grit and steadfastness that we grow in is a little bit of the proof that God wasn't lying about who he was, right? Like giving us a spirit, giving us an example of Jesus. Um, well, even think back to this this verse we just read, right? The James 1, right? He says, God has, you get the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Well, think about First John, right? How do we love? How do we know love? Not that we loved God, but that he first yeah, loved right. us. And our love for God necessitates first his love f- for us. And so even in that, like there's this both andness of the scriptures uh, where both God does all of it and then we respond and create space for those things to happen um i think you know this is why the bible is full of gardening metaphors and farming metaphors partially because they were an agricultural society but also partially because this is the best way to show it right what do you do in farming you work really really hard and then you need a lot of grace that it'll rain right. and that crops will grow. There's only so much that's in our hands. And that over yeah. the long haul, you'll have a crop, right? right? But you can't force a crop. You right. can't make a crop happen. You you have work to do. If you don't do anything, you're not going to get a crop. Right. But it, you can do everything right and still not get a crop. Yeah. And so uh, it's hard work. You need some grit. And also you need some grace. Right. And I think that even goes back to the very start of the sermon about having the right expectations. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if we really think that we have this magic formula, the perfect tool box tool chest we're like oh well i've got the tools and it's going to work out i'm going to do this and then this is going to happen well that's where our frustration comes from right where things aren't the way they're supposed to be where our sin or other people's sin mess up the formula along the way where you know life is just unpredictable or maybe god was intending to do something differently than what we planned for you know so having that mind that mindset of like it's always going to be hard it's never going to be quite what i hope it is it's going to be frustrating but in that that is what god is using right that's what god's you know putting in front of me to help shape me along the way any final thoughts for us yeah i think just to encourage us um in the fact that trials are going to come and so the question is what are you going to do with them are you going to let them serve you? Or are you going to let them destroy you? I, I, I've been uh, thinking a lot about a lot of this passage, but I've also been thinking a lot about that where he talks about the temptation piece. And I, I'd heard those verses before. I'd heard about like God can't you know tempt anyone, can't be tempted by evil, whatever. And I think like growing up in the church, I was like, yeah, obviously God doesn't tempt us. Like temptation is sin. Like God's not going to lead us towards sin. But putting it in the context of James one, which is something I never really thought about before, and his con compare and contrast the testing versus the temptation. So that formula we talked about, right? It can be a test which leads to steadfastness, which leads to maturity, or it can become a temptation which leads to sin, which leads to death. 
and how within that context, just thinking about the own trials that I face at work and so much of temptation is and sin is the wrong response to a pressed situation, right? So much of sin is I'm pressed by something. I don't like what's happening in my life. I don't enjoy this thing. I, 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 gotta, I want this. I want this escape. I want this uh, pleasure. I want this uh, meaning, value, significance, whatever it may be. And so much of life is we have that, and then we have a sinful response that comes out of that pressing. Um, and it's us trying to cope with that. I mean, think about it. Like, if everything was good in life and we were chilling with everything, like, I think the temptation to sin would be a lot less, right? Because we'd be like, I don't right. need to. My life is good. Right. Like, I'm, Everything's I'm all right. Everything's to be. Yeah. But we're pressed in these moments. And, and in my life, I'm pressed in these moments where it's like, this is a trial. And then instantly, because of my sin nature, not because of the goodness of God, but because of my own sinful desires, my flesh, I want to run after all these other um, uh, not of God ways yeah. to cope. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I've always heard or thought about sin as kind of two options. Like sin is either the right response to the wrong thing or the wrong response to the right thing. Like it's either giving to other things when are meant for God or it's not giving God what he's asked, mm-hmm. you know, what he demands, what he deserves. Yeah. But yeah, it's cool. Um, well, thanks for joining us today, Tim. We have one more week of our work series. We are wrapping it up next week. Um, hope to see you there Sundays at 5 p.m. in, in Plaza Midwood. Um, you can find out more about us on our website, citizenchurch.com. But we'll see you next time.